All right, well, for 2011 so far, most of it at least, um, we've been in the book of Mark in this series that we're calling Pictures of Jesus. And the reason we call it Pictures of Jesus is because what Mark does is he gives us these vivid snapshots of the life, the, the message, the ministry, the man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and what the Holy Spirit will do is file them away in our minds and then bring them to remembrance when appropriate, when needed. And um, so what we're doing is going verse by verse um, through, through major sections of each chapter of the book of Mark. And uh, last week we were in Mark chapter 8, and we also looked a bit at Mark chapter 9 and 10 as well, because in Mark 8, 9, and 10, Jesus foretells his death and then follows it with a piece on discipleship after they are just totally confused on his death. This week, we're going to be in both 9 and 10, kind of doing a little double-dipping thing for two weeks, really discussing uh, uh, more in depth um, in our midweek connection groups. And so if you want to go a little deeper in some of these chapters, we will uh, we'll do that midweek. Um, next week, we will land then in chapter 11. So we're halfway there officially today. And so uh, excited about that, Mark chapter 9 and uh, 10 today. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we take some time to pray? What we do in this portion of our worship gathering is what we call our pastoral prayer. And um, I'm going to pray uh, for you guys. I'm going to pray with you guys. And so let's just together um, in one accord lift up a prayer to the Lord, asking him to uh, bless our time together, to illuminate his text to our hearts. And then also just a couple of things to uh, be praying for. Be praying for our college students who are on uh, spring break right now. We also have a group of of Bentley College students right now who are uh, on big break missions trip, they call it, down in uh, Panama City, Florida, doing some beach ministry, and they're really excited about that. And for many of them, this is kind of their first time doing something like that, kind of stepping out into the unknown and talking to peers about the Lord. And so let's uh, be praying for those guys. And then also let's be praying for our ministry over at the Washington Beach Housing Projects in Roslindale. Um, Just this past week, God has really um, just kind of accelerated that ministry. We've gotten to know a lot of people, had a lot of great gospel conversations. And so I would just encourage you to specifically pray for um, that, that place, that God's spirit would just fall heavy on that place and that they would, um, would grow to, to know Jesus, trust Jesus, place faith in him, and uh, we would see a great move of God over there. So if you would write those two things down, college students and Washington Beach housing projects, and uh, we'll pray for those things and we'll pray for our time. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize that you are good, and you are holy, and you are just, and you reign supreme, sovereign over all. And so, Father, with all of those things in mind, we are unbelievably grateful to be able to stand here um, in this place and and worship you and know you, and that you would receive our our prayers, and you would receive our worship and our, um, our week week sacrifices of our life uh, to you. Lord, we thank you uh, for Jesus as we've been looking at his life and his message and his mission um, through this this series in Mark. Lord, we have just seen um, the hero of all things and and God over all things. And Lord, I pray that um, this would not just be Jesus the humanitarian. This would not just be Jesus the great teacher. This would not just be Jesus who loved people, but this would be Jesus, our Lord, and the one who we follow and worship daily. 
And uh, so, Father, we thank you for where we have been and where we are going in this series. And I pray that you would just continue to illuminate your, your text to our hearts, to our minds, and, and do a great work in us through them. And uh, Lord, we do also ask that you would just be with um, those students who are away right now, some of them going back, a, a few we have going to other countries uh, where they uh, are from. We pray for safe travel and, and just uh, the opportunity to share with their families what you've been doing in their lives uh, since they've been here at school. Um, Lord, we pray for those who are down in Florida now, uh, engaging uh, many of them for the first time in, in ministry where they are sharing uh, Jesus with peers and, and people they don't know. And Lord, I just ask that you would give them power and uh, just really encourage their hearts as they, as they step out in faith this week. And uh, Father, we also want to just lift up to you this housing project, God, that you have uh, made the doors wide open for us to minister at. And Lord, I, I know you've done that for a reason. We know that the ministry there uh, can be difficult at times. But we ask, Lord, that as we serve, as we uh, wash feet as you did, that you would... Just, just tear down walls and you would open up people's eyes um, to the truth of Jesus and you would um, just uh, stir their hearts that they might see their need for you and for him. And uh, Lord, we just pray your, your spirit would fall heavy on that place. And uh, God, this morning, this is your time. Um, I am merely your messenger. This is your message. And so God, I ask that uh, you would speak um, to hearts as you see fit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you're, um, maybe you're not a fan, maybe you are a fan of uh, this little thing that we called the limbo, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, maybe the last time you've done the limbo was at a wedding and uh, totally humiliated yourself so you have terrible, terrible memories, uh, but I, you know, I, I'm not one to get out on the floor and do the limbo, but I'm definitely one to enjoy other people making fools of themselves at the limbo, you know? You know the song, I don't know, everybody kind of has their different song, the, the song I know for the limbo is, how low can you go? Hello, and you just do. You don't need a. You don't need a DJ. You just do it, right? And so uh, I, I enjoy the limbo. One cool thing that uh, I like about the limbo, um, as I've just kind of been thinking about this goofy thing that we do, is is that the the lower the participant goes, the the louder we cheer. Seems you know, obvious for those of us who have been doing the limbo our whole lives. Some of you, right? Um, the lower they go, the, the louder we cheer. And so if, if they start out right here and they go under, we're kind of like, yeah, yeah that, that's good. Anybody does it. We let everybody go through once so they feel like they've accomplished something at the wedding, right? The next level, they drop it down a little bit and they go under it and everybody goes, all right, yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it. And then the next level, they drop it down a little bit and people go around and they limbo under it and everybody's like, all right, yes, this is, this is shaping up to something. People start to cheer a little bit and then they drop it, you know, to the to the next level everybody goes yeah and they're just going nuts and you dwindle it down a little bit and then you drop it to the next level and they get under and what that's incredible that's incredible and then finally you get to like the next level and suddenly it's like okay that's freaky that's that's a little bit strange you know what i'm talking about so i, I think the limbo is is pretty cool but the cool thing about the limbo is the lower you go the the louder we cheer, the louder we, we celebrate. And, and now look at me, this is important. This is really important. In the real world, not talking the game anymore, not talking the wedding activity anymore, in the real world, this rarely happens. In the real, real world, I, I really think it is something that, that should happen regularly. And that is this, that the lower we go, I think the louder we should cheer. 
the louder we should, should celebrate. In, in life, as you know, we cheer for people. We celebrate people, not when they go low, but when they go high. We, we cheer for people, not when they, they humble themselves, but when they exalt themselves and when they, when they elevate them, themselves. In our society, we, we celebrate things like uh, your, your boss gives you recognition. Maybe you've been wanting that recognition and, and your boss acknowledges you and so you feel like, all right, I've kind of stepped up the, the ladder, so to speak. Right? We, we celebrate, we get excited when, when finally somebody laughs at my joke, right? They never laugh at my jokes and, and finally they laugh at my joke and so you feel like you kind of climbed a little bit. You, you celebrate when, you, you know, it's ridiculous, but when you, you hit a, a big number on Facebook and you feel like, all right, I got a lot of these friends, right? And so you kind of, people celebrate, get excited about that kind of stuff. We, we celebrate when we get into that program that we've been longing to get into. We celebrate when we get that degree that we've been working for for so long. We, 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 we celebrate when, when, when people finally acknowledge uh, just some characteristics about ourselves that we've always known were great, but nobody else, and finally they acknowledge it, and we celebrate, and we feel like, all right, all right, all right. We celebrate when we get that, that promotion that we've been longing for. We get that, that new possession that we've been saving up for. And, and, and kind of what, what happens in our cultures, we play this ridiculous game of, of celebrating ourselves and, and seeking attention and seeking glory with every little step. I mean, it might be a big step for you, it might be a little step for you, but every little step along the way, it's, it's as if we're looking to, to climb, looking to get more attention, more recognition, more love, more friends, more stuff, and, and elevate our, ourselves. And this ridiculous game never satisfies. It never never satisfies. And, and one thing that's important for us to note as we, we look at the example of Jesus as we're in the book of Mark is, is that this isn't the example of Jesus. This, this climbing, 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 seeking more and more. That's not the example of Jesus. In fact, the example of Jesus is, is quite the opposite. Jesus uh, miraculously, incredibly lower, 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 lower. He, he goes and he humbles himself. He comes down to, to, to serve us, to, to free us from this, this trap that we've gotten ourselves into because of our, our sin. And, and so we needed Jesus to descend and, and to come here and become one of us and, and to live the life perfectly that we couldn't live and, and die perfectly the death that, that we deserve, not the death that, that he certainly did not deserve. And, and this is God over all things descending himself to unimaginable Depths. And so in light of that, in light of what he has done and who he is, our proper response as Jesus goes lower, 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 lower is celebration. Our proper response to this is, is worship, is even a bit of, of shock. Like You've got to be kidding me that he would do that. That's an incredible. Our proper response is a, is a life committed to living for him, a life committed to, to being like him and gladly lowering ourselves as he did for, for others. And, and it's interesting as we've kind of been looking at, at these disciples and the struggles in their lives that, that what they're doing, it's, it's, it's strange that as, as the God of the universe is, is lowering himself to become like us, to, to, to serve us and to incarnate himself, as he's lowering himself, what is happening with these guys is he's lowering himself and they're seeking to elevate themselves. And it just doesn't, 
it, it doesn't work. It's inappropriate. It's, it's flawed that we don't, we don't ascend to him. He descended to us and gave his life for us, became one of us, and we are grateful for that, and it's astonishing. And what I want to do this morning, as I said before, is kind of bounce between 9 and 10. And the reason I like to bounce between chapter 9 and 10, which is something we don't do often, we've been kind of going chapter by chapter. Um, The reason I want to bounce between these two is so that we can see this struggle of the disciples, the struggle that they're facing uh, with the the glory of Jesus and seeking self glorification, the elevation of Jesus versus the elevation of, of self. A, a struggle that I think is safe to say that we all, um, we all battle in, in, in some way, shape, form. And so let's look at Mark chapter 9. Let's kick it off here with verse 1. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, where Sarah read earlier. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So last week, here's what we saw. We saw that Jesus ended his public ministry uh, in Galilee, this, this miracle working in Galilee that everybody, all these crowds were around. Last week, he ended it, and he began in chapter 8, uh, his, his private ministry, where now he's saying, okay, that's done. I've given them the signs they need. Now we move into the private ministry where for the next few chapters, Jesus focuses in on his disciples and helps them to see him more clearly. And, and this verse, chapter 9, verse 1, it's, it's really the closing statement of what we were in last week in chapter 8 in Jesus' private teaching with his disciples. But it's included here in chapter 9, verse 1, because it is most likely referring to what is about to happen in chapter 9. And what's about to happen here in chapter 9 is this occasion in the life and ministry of Jesus that we refer to as the transfiguration. And, and here's what Jesus says in, in chapter 9. One as we read, he says, some of you are not going to taste death until you see the coming of the kingdom of God with power. Some of you are not going to die until you see this unbelievable power displayed. And so let's let's continue on. Look at verse 2 then. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And so here's what we have. We have Jesus being transfigured before them. Notice that it says after six days. And so for, the, for us, what this really does is, is it links for us. Mark is linking for us uh, verse 1 and, and what is happening here, this transfiguration, showing us that, that this, this transfiguration of, of Jesus is really what Jesus was referring to in chapter 9, verse 1, six days prior. And so Jesus, it says, brings with him Peter James and John. These guys are the closest uh, of his disciples to him. They're, they're what we refer to as the inner circle of Jesus. And he brings these guys in his inner circle up to Mount Hermon probably is, is the mountain. It says a high mountain here. We can assume it's Mount Hermon. It's the high mountain near uh, Caesarea Philippi, only 12 miles north and east. We know in the context they're uh, located around Caesarea Philippi. And remember, the, they're outside of Galilee. They're up in Caesarea Philippi. The public ministry is, is over. They're now in the private ministry, focusing in on the disciples. Jesus is pouring into them, correcting their, their ignorance, doing some major work on their hearts. And so a big part of this process of what Jesus is doing is about to happen here. He brings them up to this mountain. Other gospel accounts say that he begins to pray and he is transfigured 
before them. This, this original Greek word for transfigured here is metamorpho. And uh, it's obviously where we get our word metamorphosis, right? And meta implies change. Morphe is, is speaking to, to form. And so we have Jesus changing form before these guys. And, and so what happens here, as we're about to see, is just for a brief period, Jesus' body is transformed, or many of us Christians, we call it glorified, up on, on this mountain. And um, this account is also... Um, spoken of in in Matthew chapter 17 verse 2 and it says that Jesus is 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 as he's transfigured his face shines like the sun up on this this mountain now let's look at verse 3 back here in Mark chapter chapter 9 it says and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could Bleach them, and so Jesus' clothes, not only his face as we see in Matthew, but his clothes become intensely white. It says, unable to be bleached. My, my wife would love that kind of, uh, you know, sheets that were unable to be bleached, or some of my, my kids' white clothes, unable to be bleached. Matthew 17, 2 also says that, that his clothes were white as light. They, they are dazzling, it says in, in Luke. And, and so we have his clothes become light. His, his face is like the sun. Basically, Jesus is glowing up here on this mountain before them. Now, can you just imagine just Jesus before these men glowing? Can you imagine what begins to take shape in their hearts from this experience? Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus' transfiguration for these disciples is a powerful, powerful reminder of, of who Jesus was before becoming a man, before his incarnation, God becoming flesh. And it's also a preview of who Jesus will be after his future glorification, after he returns for us. And so before becoming a man, before entering into our, our, our flesh so that he could defeat Satan and sin and death for us, John chapter 1, 1 says that he, was, he is God. He was there at the beginning of all things. John chapter 1, 14 says that, that God becomes flesh. He dwells among us. Philippians chapter 2 says that he's God, that he humbles himself, that he empties himself so that he could become like us and die. But before all of that, he is unbelievably glorious. He is unfathomable. He is not contained by a human body. Then he incarnates himself. And then after, after his time on earth, after his death and, and, and resurrection, John in, in Revelation chapter 1.14 gets his vision of Jesus. So in fact, why don't you just uh, flip over there. John chap- or Revelation chapter 1.14 through 16. And I, I want to see this revelation of, of Jesus that, that John receives. Revelation 1, all the way in the back, 14 through 16. It says, the, the hairs on his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And so it kind of sounds similar, doesn't it, to what we're reading here in, in Mark chapter Nine descriptions of the, the brightness and, and, and the whiteness of, of Jesus, that the hair on his head, they're, they're like white, like wool, like snow, and it starts to give here in Revelation all these descriptions 
of, of, of illuminated things that his feet are like burnished uh, bronze. They are like, uh, like, uh, like metal refined in the fire, glowing. His, his hands are seven stars. As you can imagine, his faith, face is like the, the sun shining and in full strength, much like Luke's account of, of the transfiguration. And, and so here, um, we, we, we get back at the transfiguration in, in, in Mark chapter 9. These, these disciples get this glimpse of Jesus beyond the incarnation, before the incarnation, and, and, and after, and they see just how radiant, just how magnificent Jesus is in his unmasked glory. And, and, and the point here um, is, 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 is really important. Back in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, as we saw last week, Peter proclaims, Jesus, you are the Christ. He says, you are the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're, you're the Messiah. You have come to rescue us from Satan and, and sin and death. He says, you're the Christ. He gets it right. But then, just a few short verses later, what, is, what does Peter begin to do? He begins to scold Jesus because Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect. He doesn't hear the resurrection part. He hears the, the, the death part. He begins to scold or rebuke Jesus. And, and, and here's what can happen. Here's what happens with Peter. Here's what can often happen with, with many of us. Is, is we can become so casual with Jesus. We can read the gospel accounts of, of Jesus, the man, Jesus, God in the flesh. So we can become so casual with Jesus that we can lose reverence for Jesus. And we can lose the awe of, of who Jesus is. Or what can happen is like Peter, in our faith maybe we get something right. Right? Peter got it right that Jesus is the Christ, and we, be, we can easily become overly confident. Maybe we, we, we are doing, doing well in times of the Lord. We're doing well in defeating some, some specific sins, and we, we're getting some things right in our, our faith. And what can often happen is we become overconfident, and we begin to come to this place where we start to elevate ourselves over God, much like, like Peter does. He begins to rebuke Jesus, thinking his plans are better than Jesus and his plans. And so what happens here with the displayed glory of God on this mountain is really for the disciples what I would call this necessary calibration. This necessary holding their lives up to the glory of God. And listen, we need to do the same thing. We need to constantly hold our lives up to the glory of God and see that there's really no comparison. We need to constantly be bringing before our eyes the, the person and the work of Jesus and the glory of, of God. And what will happen is as we see his glory and we see our lives held up against that, we see just how far beyond us he really is. And, and, and we see our humanity and we see our, our sin. And what will happen is we begin to see just how incredible his grace is, that God who is so far above us descends to us, becomes one uh, uh, of us. And what will happen is as we behold his glory and as we get our eyes on his glory, what happens is, is it leads us to repentance. What happens is it leads us to worship. What happens is that it leads us to evangelism. And so as a follower of Christ, you have to constantly get your eyes on, on the glory of God because beholding his glory changes you. You need to hear that. Beholding his glory, it, it changes you. And, and as you see him in his glory, you will increasingly, increasingly, increasingly 
be changed. Let me, let me illustrate this a little bit. Do, do I get permission to be sappy for a moment? Yes? Can I be sappy? Okay. And even if you said no, I would still be sappy. But um, this, this is something I don't do often, but I did it this week. I bought, I'm not bragging, but I bought my wife some flowers. And uh, yes, I know. I bought my wife some flowers. And, and what was happening, I was just driving down the road, and uh, I was thinking about just the past week and kind of what's been going on. And, and, and as I was driving down the road, I, I was really just kind of spurred to go buy her some flowers. And I was thinking, you know, man, things have been really, really crazy lately. Um, I've been super busy. I've been leaving early, early in the morning and, and getting back late, late at night. And, and my wife is holding down the fort. She's been such a hard, hard worker. Um, I was thinking about the week prior where my, my boys were, were really sick. I was really sick, and she was totally taking care of us. I was thinking back to uh, a couple Fridays ago, Luca's face got sliced open with a knife and how incredible she was. It was, it was just how she took care of us and took care of him. It was incredible. And I was thinking about how, um, how um, I've been so stressed, and for, for me, she's just been this great assurance and just constantly saying, saying God's in control, things are, are, are going to be okay. On top of this, like something really small, right? On top of this, she's carrying our baby, right, to be born here very soon. And so she's a strong woman. I'm just thinking about, man, I love this girl. I love this girl, and I just want to show her. I, I love her, and that I, I just so appreciate her. And so I bought her flowers and uh, brought them home. And when I brought her the flowers, I started to tell her some of these things that I'm telling you. I, listen, you're, you're strong. You've been an assurance for me. You've been so selfish. You've been so understanding of my crazy schedule the past week or so. And, and I just am so grateful. And I just gave her these flowers. And you could tell that it meant a ton to her. You could tell it just meant so much to her. On the flip side, though, imagine if I come in with these flowers for my wife, and I bring her these flowers, and I say, Becky, um, I, I bought you some flowers because, well, I'm your husband, and that's what husbands are supposed to do. Imagine if I brought her some flowers and said I was reading uh, Men's Health, and I, I was recommended that I should probably get my wife some, some flowers, and so here, what, what would happen, right? Maybe a slap in the face, maybe a throw the flowers in the ground, I don't know, but, but it wouldn't have been well, well received. And, and listen, I bought my, my wife flowers out of delight in her, not out of duty. I bought her flowers out of delight because I delighted in who she is and what she's done, not out of duty, feeling like, well, I'm her husband, and I guess this is what I should do. And and likewise, for you as a Christian, you are going to have the most authentic and the most fulfilling Christian life when you delight in who God is. When you delight in who he is and you respond accordingly. When you constantly get before your eyes the person and the work of Jesus, the glory of God and the power of his spirit. When you get that stuff in in front of you, what is going to happen as a natural outflow is this thing we call repentance and obedience and worship and evangelism where we tell other people about him. It happens more naturally when you get before you the person of the Lord, and you see his glory regularly. And so here's how this for us looks maybe today. Here's how this looks for us today. We need to get in the scriptures. Obviously, we need to get in the scriptures, but here's one thing that's important, is as you get in the scriptures, you don't simply read these as a manual for life, like here's what I do, here's what I do. What you need to do is as you read the scriptures, also read them 
as, as a description of God. And so as you're reading through the scriptures, you're not simply looking for, okay, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? But you're also reading it and looking at what has God done? What has God done? Who is he? Because beholding God's glory will change you. As, as we prepare for worship gatherings for, for this on Sunday mornings, one thing that, that we're mindful of is we want to be careful that when we, when we choose the songs that we're going to sing, that we're not simply choosing songs that say, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you. You are my friend, God, so I worship you. But we want to sing songs that, that speak to the person of Jesus, speak to the work of, of the Lord. And, and so we're very careful even in choosing the, the songs that we, we sing. Um, and, and so we have to constantly get the, the work of the Lord and the person and the character of the Lord before us because that leads us to authentic worship. As I prepare a sermon, as, as other guys who, who come up here and, and speak prepare their, their sermons, we're, we're very careful not to always or only give you three points to lead to this, five points to lead to this, seven steps that you must do to get this. Rather, we most, most commonly want to say with the message, God is this, God has done this. Because rather than saying, here's what I do, we say, here's what he has done. Here's who he is. Let us put him before you. And as you see him, as you behold his glory, what will happen more authentically, more naturally, is he will, he will change you. One more, just one more practical piece here is, is maybe even in our prayer lives. In, in our prayer lives, we need to be careful to not only pray prayers of request. God, I ask for this. I want this, this person needs this, but also to pray prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise, prayers of, of acknowledgement, so that in our, our prayer time alone, so that in our prayer time with a spouse, in our prayer time with our family, our prayer time in our connection groups, we're not only praying request prayers, but we're praying, God, you are this. You have done this. God, I thank you for this. I acknowledge you for this. I, I pray through the scriptures, I, I pray, you know, just last week praying through um, Ephesians chapter 3, just praying through the scriptures about who God is. Because what happens is as you put the person, the work, character of the Lord in front of your eyes, it will, it will change you. It will change you. We could go on and on and on about how this fleshes itself out. But the key is this. As a follower of Jesus, get your eyes on the Lord and as you behold his glory, it changes you. Not always immediately. Certainly not immediately for these disciples. We're going to continue on in Mark, and they're still confused. They're still confused, almost all the way to the very end. But God is doing his work, and he's doing um, his, his work in their, their hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, or chapter 3, verse 18 says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed. As we look upon the Lord, we are transformed it says we are being transformed so it's not just bam it's slowly we are being transformed it's a process it's a process and so we're going to look more into that verse uh, in our connection group this week so i'd love to invite you to uh, come to that wink wink right let's finish out the transfiguration here mark chapter 9 now look at verses 4 through 8 mark chapter 9 4 through 8 it says and there appeared to them elijah with moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And, in a, cl and a cloud overshadowed them, 
And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So, here's what we have. Jesus on the mountain, radiating his, his, his glory. He is magnificent. He is, he is glorious. But now we also see on this mountain appears Elijah and appears Moses as, as well. Now, Moses appears as a representation, representative of the law, right? Moses is the one who on Mount Sinai, God gives the Old Testament law too. And so Moses appears as a representative of the law. Elijah, who is this prophet, this Old Testament prophet, he appears as a representative of the prophets. Elijah is, is the one, as many of you have heard, who is, is, is brought to heaven, doesn't die, but brought to heaven uh, by a chariot of, of fire, one who also has this wonderful God experience on Mount Sinai as well. And so we have Moses and we have Elijah, both representing the law and, and, and the prophets. Now I want us to think back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, a verse that many of you are, are familiar with. Here's what Jesus foretells. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so here, later in Mark chapter 9, we have these representatives of the law and the prophets on this, this mountain here at the transfiguration. They're present with Jesus. You with me? You get that? Now, Peter tells Jesus, here's what we should do, Jesus. It's really good that we're here because what we can do is we can set up three tents. And what Peter's thinking here is, it's let's set up some kind of memorial to this awesome event. Maybe we can keep it going. We can keep it alive a little bit more. So we'll put up three tents and Moses and Jesus and, and, and Elijah can, can be there. And, and verse 6, look back at verse 6 and in, in Mark 9 here, it, it clarifies a little bit. It says that Peter is overtaken with fear, and so he's speaking out of confusion. This is Peter, right? If you look through the gospel accounts, this is how Peter functioned. Peter has this history of speaking without thinking. He has this history of constantly putting his foot in his, in his mouth. And so rather than pondering this glorious event, rather than sitting here and just taking it all in and really really saying, wow, what is God saying? He is incredible. What is he up to? What's going on here? What does Jesus do? Or what does Peter do? As the, the, the representative of the apostles, the disciples, one who speaks for them often, he says, I, I guess I should probably say something. And so he says something that's rather ridiculous. He says, well, why don't we make some tents? And, and, and listen, for us, here's what we need to just snag from Peter's mistake. We need to snag this, that, that we need to slow down and we need to think on God. We need to be careful not to rush into making plans and rush in to responding. But we need to slow down and, and think on God. And unfortunately for us, we have the luxury of knowing uh, what God meant with this. Because the story goes on a little bit. And it says that God, the Father, speaks in a cloud with a loud voice. And he says, listen, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Obey him. This is my son. God, again, is confirming this is God. This is my son. And then suddenly what happens? Suddenly both Elijah is gone and, and Moses is gone. But Jesus remains there with him. And so what's the message? The message is this. Only Jesus remains. Jesus is the bearer of the glory of God. He is his son. 
Jesus is, is glorious. He's, both, he's greater than both Moses and, and Elijah. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament that they had known to this point. He is the Son of God. He's the one remaining on this mountain. He is the one worthy of all of our attention. And when we get our eyes on Him, when we get our eyes on His glory, things begin to grow increasingly clear. Things in our spiritual journey, become a bit more natural, as we said before. And so we see how, how Peter responds, again out of confusion, again out of haste. We see how he responds too quickly, not slowing down to behold Jesus. He feels like he has to speak. Now I want to look, uh, just for the last few minutes together, at James and John. I want to look at them and, and see what, what is happening with, with these guys. Flip over now to chapter 10. We'll look at verses 35 and and 37. So after the experience with Jesus, surprisingly, even James and John, we know Peter, even James and John now too, are struggling with the glory of Jesus. They they saw Jesus just radiating his glory on this mountain, and and yet they're they're still struggling. So let's read 10, 35 through 37. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in glory. And so, as we looked even last week a little bit at this occasion, right after Jesus foretells of his coming death and his resurrection, this third time that he tells of his coming death and his resurrection in the previous verses, this third time, it's as if he didn't even say anything. And what do they do? They don't ask anything of them. They don't ask for clarification. They clearly don't get it. What they do is they just say, let's, let's talk about us, Jesus. Enough about you. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about our glory. We want to sit at your right hand and your left hand in glory. They're still struggling with this idea that Jesus was going to come and, and, and help them defeat Roman oppression that they were in. They weren't thinking that he is going to be the eternal heavenly king over all things. They're thinking he's going to come and get us out of this immediate struggle, Roman oppression that we're in. And they're struggling with the glory of God, even after getting this incredible glimpse of, of the glory of God. And maybe for you, you've been there too. Maybe for you, you've had moments, occasions in your life where where God has been so undeniably clear to you. Maybe through scripture, maybe through other people, maybe through fellowship, maybe through just this this powerful moment with the Lord. He's been so undeniably clear, but maybe you're even at a point in your life right now where you have fallen back like even James and John, like Peter. You've fallen back and you're seeking your your own glory. You're, You're seeking to elevate yourself rather than receiving him who has come to you and so we must what we must constantly do is get our eyes on the glory of the lord the good news is this the good news is that 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 it does become clear for these guys let me read you just one more uh, verse here this is second peter chapter 1 16 through 18 sometime later peter writes this and it's clear that it is clicked now what has happened on the mountain has clicked he says this he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord. Sounds just like Mark 9.1, the power and the coming of our Lord. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born 
to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Just what he said on the mountain. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. So now here for Peter, it has clicked. We get it. We get it. He is God. He is the suffering Messiah that we couldn't grasp in Mark chapter 8. Now we grasp it. We see that he has descended to us. We see that he is glorious before, after this. He is, he is glorious. He is radiant. And so for us today, I want us to think on this God who we have seen in, in this text as, as radiant in glory. This God who is so majestic and so unfathomable, so great, who, who radiates himself to these men on, on this mountain. He gives them a taste of who he was before the incarnation, who he is after the incarnation. He gives them a taste of it. And, and, and I hope for you as you see this, as you see who he is, and you understand that this God over all things has descended himself down to become one of us, to take on our lives, to live it perfectly, to, to serve us in humility, uh, to, to be rejected by many, to die a brutal death that he didn't deserve, that that in and of itself is glorious, that that in and of itself is, is love. And, and so we, as, as followers of Jesus, would be well served to constantly constantly get our eyes on him time and time and time again so that he can do this work this process of sanctification in our lives as we behold his glory he will transform us it says from one degree of glory to another so that rather than than us seeking our own glory and and seeking to ascend to him by self-exaltation that we would allow him to descend to us and we would become like him in that humility. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we love you so much. We are so grateful that the glorious God over all things would make himself known to us. We are so grateful that you would incarnate yourself in the flesh, becoming a man, so that we could see you, so that we could relate with you, you could relate with us so that you could take on our pain so that as we saw in Mark chapter 8 you could touch people so that you could show us that, that, that you, you know our, our, our temptations you are victorious over them we thank you for that we want to keep our eyes on just how glorious you are we want to keep our eyes on, on, on just how beyond us you are knowing that as we do that these things that we often strive for would become more natural because they're, they're flowing out of just uh, complete delight in you and not out of duty. And so God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I ask that you would move in their hearts. Show them the areas where they have their eyes on self, on, on the things of this world and not on you and on your glory. Lord, I pray that we would see you and we would live accordingly. We would respond appropriately. God, I know that in this room, even, even today, there may be some who, who the response that you're stirring up in them right now is, I want that Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to turn from, from being the Lord over my own life. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to turn to Jesus. I want to trust everything with him. I want you to be my God. I want you to be my Lord. Maybe, maybe this morning, um, that's, that's somebody in this room, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. They would confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in, in your heart 
that you raised him from the dead and that they would then be saved from the consequences of, of their sin eternally. Satan, sin, and death that has a grip on them. Lord, free them as they trust in Jesus, the glorious Jesus. For us Christians in this room, Father, show us how to get our eyes on you. May we even do it in this time as we sing these songs. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.